the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Over the last couple of days, we have focused on honoring the Lord's Day. Now, let's shift gears and take a look at liberty, law, and love from Psalm 119. It's all straight ahead, coming up next, here on Abounding Grace. So over the last couple of broadcasts, we have learned from Isaiah 58 that we are to honor the Lord's Day, and there is a blessing in it. No, it's not a demand, but it is something that is called upon us as believers in Christ. Now, having said that, we now want to take a look at the liberty of celebrating the Lord's Day, the law of celebrating the Lord's Day, and the love that is wrapped up in the middle of it all. You see, we don't do a Lord's Day or a Sunday simply because we're supposed to. It is a chance to meet with the God of this universe who's actually called us to come and spend time with Him. That is true love. Here's Pastor Gary Wagner with today's broadcast of Abounding Grace. If I would have preached the sermon I'm about to deliver you today 100 years ago, most of my listeners would have said, Why are you preaching on that? Because the vast majority of them would have agreed with what I'm about to say and would not have found my would have found my message very basic. But that was a hundred years ago. Today I'm afraid our culture, many, many Christians, and possibly some of you here today, may consider what I'm about to say radical, extreme and fanatic. And I believe after some of the responses I got last week from you on my sermon honoring the Sabbath, you may already think I'm a bit extreme. But I decided on to speak on this subject because of those responses in the hope that you will better understand why I feel so strongly about keeping the entire day of the Lord holy and why I believe it is as essential for us in the 21st century as it was in the Old Testament. I would like you to turn to Psalm 119, the passage that Gerald read earlier, verses 41 through 48. Because there are three words there that the psalmist brings together, which we do not normally see fit together in our culture, but actually see them set against one another. And these words are liberty, law, and love. Chapter 119 of Psalms, first verse 41. Listen carefully. Let thy mercies come unto me, mercies being loving kindnesses, O Lord, even thy salvation according to thy word. Verse 44. So shall I keep thy law 
continually forever and ever. 45. And I will walk at liberty, for I seek thy precepts. 47. And I will delight myself in thy commandments, which I have loved. 48. My hands also will I lift up unto thy commandments, which I have loved, and I will meditate in thy statutes. So today I want to show you the relationship between law, liberty, and love, and hopefully show you that as we have set these words against one another, we have seen a great deal of damage done to this culture. As people set these words against one another, they say you're either a legalist, who was a stickler for details, which some people certainly believe I am, or you are a warm, loving person. You are either someone who is trying to restrict and regulate life, or you are someone who loves freedom. But to put liberty and law and love together in one breath as inseparable is something that is totally foreign to this age. Let's take, for instance, the word love. Now, I've done some premarital counseling, and I usually ask the couple, what does it mean to love one another? Well, the couples I've had the privilege to ask thus far, excluding Kevin and Bethany, thank God, have no idea what the true meaning of love is. They see it just like the world sees it. They describe it as a feeling. I love her because of the way I feel when I'm around her. Or I'm sad when I can't be with him. Or love is wanting to be with the other person all the time. And one of the best examples of this modern age's definition of love can be found in the movie, Guess Who's Coming to Dinner? It is one of Spencer Tracy's most famous lines. Spencer Tracy was the father, and trust me, I use that word very loosely here, of a young woman who brings Sidney Portier, her husband, home for dinner. Spencer Tracy asks his daughter if she loves this man. She, of course, says yes. And Spencer then says, Well, if you have the feeling, then marry him and stay married to him as long as you have that feeling. I don't know any better definition of love as far as humanistic culture is concerned than what Spencer Tracy said there to his daughter. Love is a feeling. It's a warm, nice, wonderful, romantic, sweet feeling when you have it. But brothers and sisters, love is not a feeling. And our culture considers that concept bigoted. Now, I love my wife, and hopefully she does me, but the feelings are not always there. No, feelings come and go, and feelings are wonderful, but they are not permanent. And yet Peter said, love is permanent, and you don't have to sit around picking the fuzz out of your belly button, wondering what love is, because the Bible defines love in Romans 13. 
when it says love is the fulfilling of the law of God. It's just as simple as that. Love isn't some impulse. Love isn't some warm feeling in the pit of your stomach. Love isn't some kind of romantic fever that comes over you. Love is the fulfilling of the law of God. So you love someone when you, from the heart, do to and for and with that person what God commands that you do. That is the reason God gave us His law. God gave us His law because we don't know how to love. When a person says, let love be your guide, he forgets that love has no legislative ability. Love can't make up laws. Love is not a guide. Love has to have guidance. It's got to have directions. And the reason God gave us the law is because without law, says Joe Moorcraft, love is blind and it has no way of making any kind of distinctions. It has no way of setting standards and conditions. Without the law, we don't know when we're hurting someone. If you live with a person outside of marriage, but living as if you were married, and you leave that person, you leave behind layers of hurt and damage. We hurt the other pe person emotionally and spiritually by having sex outside the security and warmth and assurance of a married relationship. Sex outside of marriage will scar a relationship and one's spirit, and you're crazy if you think that's not true. It will lead to problems and pains and hurt that usually go on for years because of the immorality. If love is the fulfilling of the law of God, then there is no such thing as lawless love. So if someone has a partner who to, to, to whom they are not married, they may enjoy that person. They may find pleasure in that person. But they cannot say that they are loving that person because love is impossible outside the boundaries and the guidelines of the law of God. Love is the fulfilling of the law of God. So when we seek to serve someone else and give of ourselves for the benefit of another, the law of God was given to us to tell us how to do that righteously. It wasn't given to us to cramp our style or to restrict us or to squelch our pleasure. God gave us His law so we would know how to love each other. So we would know how to serve each other and how to give to each other. And whenever we lay aside the law of God and seek to love another person beyond that law, we always, without exception, do them and ourselves great and sometimes irreparable harm. Proverbs 12.10 says, 
the tender mercies or kindnesses of the wicked are cool. When a wicked person, a person who has no regard for the law of God, seeks to be kind and compassionate to another person, that intended kindness usually ends up as cruelty. For example, have you ever heard a liberal, even a liberal Christian, tell you how unkind and uncompassionate you are because you believe abortion is murder? They cannot believe you have no pity or sympathy for the plight of the poor unmarried woman who has to go through the trauma of an unwanted pregnancy for nine months and then give birth to an unwanted baby. How unkind and cold-hearted and unchristlike can you be? Yet, how compassionate they are. That they are willing to save the woman from her inconvenience by tearing her baby limb from limb and pulling it dead from her womb. The compassion of the wicked is cruel. Whenever a person, however sincere and compassionate to another person, and disregards the law of God, God says it always ends up cruelty in that person's life. So the point is, you can't have love without the law. But there is even a more basic point to our passage. You can't have love without regeneration, without salvation, without the new birth. The 41st verse of Psalm 119 starts by saying, May the loving kindnesses also come to me, O Lord, thy salvation according to thy word. So I will have an answer for him that reproaches me, for I trust in thy word. So what is the psalmist saying? The psalmist recognizes, first, that he is a sinner. He recognizes that he is powerless to do what God wants him to do. He recognizes he needs his sins forgiven, for God to look on him with favor and block out his iniquity and give him the power and the wisdom and the guidance and the insight to do what is right, to do what God wants him to do. And if God leaves him to himself, his guilt will crush him. And he'll have no motivation and no ability to do what is right. And he'll spend eternity in hell. So he doesn't begin by saying, Thank you, Lord, that your law is a ladder that I can climb to you and make points with you by my obedience to it. Instead, he begins by saying, Lord, I recognize I'm a sinner. I recognize that I can't love without your law, but I also recognize that I can't love without your grace. And unless you give me your grace, I'll not even want to obey your law. Unless you write your law on my heart and put your Holy Spirit in me and give me the power to do what I should do, I don't have the strength in and of myself. So don't let your loving kindnesses depart from me. And don't let your salvation leave me, because he says, if they leave me, I'll have no credible answer to give him who reproaches me. 
You see David, the psalmist here, is saying he experienced some of the same same things we experience. And that is that there were people in that culture that were critics of biblical religion and of the truths of God. And David said, Lord, don't leave me alone in my sin. Save me and give me the strength and the power and the motivation to obey you so that I will give our critics an irrefutable answer. So what is he saying? He is saying that a holy life Astained by God's grace is an irrefutable answer to the world's argument against Christianity. The world is coming up with sharper and sharper arguments against our faith and what we believe. And it is knocking people off right and left who are buying in to those arguments and into the fallacies of mysticism and agnosticism. And many Christians have shut their mouths in fear of the humanist intelligentsia. Their arguments are too intellectual. We can't handle them, they say. They shut their mouths and retreat, pulling back to their fortresses, their churches, doing nothing as the enemy of the gospel conquers more and more of this earthly kingdom. But beloved, I tell you, whether you have a Ph.D., or whether you have written a book, or whether you have an IQ of 70, you have an irrefutable answer at hand to give anyone who has an argument against the reality and the truth of Christianity, and that is a holy life sustained by the grace of God. And if you do not have a holy life, you have no argument for the truth of Christianity. You have no reason to believe it if you do not lead a holy life. The one irrefutable answer to the critics of Christianity is a godly, holy, obedient, loving Christian life. Sustained, motivated, empowered by the loving kindnesses and grace of God. Without that grace... Without that loving kindness, you have no power to live a holy life. Unless you are depending on the Lord for strength, any right thing you do will be only external and always for the wrong reasons. In fact, the Word of God says, if you are not a Christian, you have never done anything but sin your entire life. Why? Because the issue is motivation. The issue is sin. The issue is chief end. The issue is what's going on in your heart. When the pagan does anything that is considered good, he does it for his own praise and what he might gain from it, to feel good about himself. The Christian does it out of love for God. He does it because there is a real desire in his heart to glorify God and bring him praise and honor out of gratitude to the Lord Jesus Christ for saving him from his sins. The Bible even goes so far as to say that the pagan's plowing of the field is sin. Now, of course, there's nothing wicked about plowing a field. But 
when a non-Christian plows and works hard to maintain his life of rebellion against God, of stubborn resistance to the will of God, all of his efforts are considered by God to be sin, justly deserving his displeasure. Without the grace of God in your life, you can't live a holy life. Without the grace of God, you are nothing but a whited sepulcher. And what is a whited sepulcher? It is a gorgeous, pure, white marble monument in a cemetery full of decaying, putrefying corpses. Without the salvation that only Christ can bring, you may be a bright, shining star on the outside, but on the inside, you are dead. Only when someone repents of their sins and believes on the Lord Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord, does God make him his own child, adopts him into his family, puts his Holy Spirit within him and gives him the power to love and to live the type of life God calls him to in his words. He writes his word on the heart, so you want to obey him. Psalm 119 says, and now think about this. Can you say this with the psalmist? And I will delight myself in thy commandments, which I have loved. I delight in thy commandments. Do you delight in God's commandments? Do you delight in keeping the entire Sabbath day holy? Brothers and sisters, Psalm 119 is the longest chapter in the Bible. Now keep in mind, this is a song of praise to be sung. And wouldn't you think it being the longest chapter in the Bible that it would be something everyone would want to sing about? Wouldn't you think the longest chapter in the Bible would be about Jesus or salvation or the Holy Spirit or forgiveness of sins or going to heaven when you die? But it is a hymn of praise to God for all of His laws in the Bible. It is praising God for all the laws and commandments and statutes and ordinances and regulations and rules He has given us in His book so we can live holy lives before Him. Not so that we might be regenerated. We're not regenerated by the law. That's by God's grace alone. It is so we can live holy lives before God out of gratitude. For what he's done on our behalf. And the psalmist says, I love to sing something like this. Because I delight in thy commandments. They cause me pleasure. They bring me joy. And then verse 48 says, My hands also will I lift up unto thy commandments. Which I have loved and will meditate in thy statutes. He is saying, Lord, as I think about all your commandments. I love them. I delight in them and hold them up before you, thanking you for giving me all those laws to live by. I'm sorry I failed to live by them as I should. I thank you for the forgiveness that comes through the blood of Jesus. 
I thank you for the power of the Holy Spirit as he enables me to obey to some degree. And I look forward to that day when I die and I will be able to obey every last one of them perfectly forever. And that is Pastor Gary Wagner from Reformed Heritage Church here in San Jose with today's broadcast of Abounding Grace. As we close out our time today, I'd leave you with our address, phone number, and our website. We'd love to hear from you. It always means a great deal to us when we hear somebody who has been listening to the program and being encouraged by it. It makes a big deal for us. 408-866-5607 is that phone number. Again, call us, 408-866-5607. Or visit our website and leave us an email, reformedheritage.org. That's reformedheritage.org. We also have past messages available, uh, an extensive library of audio that you can tap into at any time for free, right there at our website, again, reformedheritage.org. Other resource materials are available from that website as well. If you'd rather write to us, the address is Abounding Grace, PMB 402, 1484 Pollard Road. That is here in Los Gatos. The zip code is 95032. Normally, we'd invite you to join us for worship, but since we have been suspended because of the COVID-19 crisis, we invite you to visit our website instead and pick out a couple of recent messages that Pastor Gary has delivered here at Reformed Heritage Church. Again, reformedheritage.org. We'll also give you updates at that website as to when we return to normal worship. And you're always welcome to call us as well for that kind of information, 408-866-5607. And then come back and join us next time for another broadcast of Abounding Grace with Pastor Gary Wagner. (music) 